from Los Angeles, California, on the MTV Podcast Network, this is North Mollywood. I'm Alex Papadimus. Sitting across from me, holding a severed head and a giant turkey leg, Molly Lambert. Hey, everybody. Welcome to uh, Medieval Times. <laughs> we need to talk about Renfair. We need to talk about Renfair culture and my first Renfair. And how is this your first Renfair? I know, right? I, I mean, I know, but I actually, you should, uh, you should maybe elucidate for the people who are not well, already. Well, okay, here's the reason it's yeah. my first Renfair. I hate medieval stuff. And I do not understand the obsession with medieval culture. It seems like the worst possible time to fantasize about being in. I am not against, you know, all sort of recreations of the past. I'm very into ancient Egypt. That's my, like, if you were like, there's an ancient Egyptian Renaissance fair, like an ancient Egyptian reenactments fair, I'd be like, that's the greatest thing I've ever heard. I'm going to dress why, up like Horus and yeah, go that, that immediately. Is yeah, specifically why I stayed at the Luxor in Las Vegas one time <laughs> against that's, the that's advice a, of everyone. Because that's an authentic recreation of an uh, ancient Egyptian Well, culture. I mean, yeah, your Renaissance fair is, yeah. uh, I learned a lot about Renaissance fairs. What I learned is that this Renaissance fair, Yield Pleasure Fair, is the first Renaissance fair ever. Um, and it was started in the 50s, and it was a woman who was just a big Renaissance medieval head, and uh, the first one was held at Paramount Ranch in Malibu, the old West Town, which, you know, again, I like the Westworldiness of being like, let's just all, you know, now we're in this time, because everyone's wearing those clothes. A Renaissance fair inside of a Western town. Yeah. Is, that's kind of the dream. That right? is the I mean, dream. It's, it's, well, in Westworld, they have theoretically the other worlds that you don't see. One of them is a is a medieval world. And right. the other one is ancient Rome, I think. And uh, we follow the guy who goes to the Old West one. But you could theoretically go to the other worlds. But I was always like, of course you would pick the West world. Because why would you ever want to go to a medieval place? Everything's horrible. Everyone probably smells so bad. Get at me, medieval enthusiast, to tell me how I'm so wrong. <laughs> you are. Um, you're going to get so got at. <laughs> you're going to get so many ravens. Well, you know, if someone's going to send me a raven, uh, yeah. is that a thing they do on Game of Thrones? That is a thing, yeah. You're gonna, I said, raven, you're going to get all, um, you know, angry ravens. You know, I mean, I don't watch Game of Thrones, but I read Twitter, so I know what happens on it. And this week's Game of Thrones sounded just spectacularly dumb. Uh, even in a show that is known for being just totally stupid, it sounded like, you know, I mean, even if, if you watched it and were moved by it, you can imagine how reading a one sentence capsule description, you might say, oh, that's why his name is Hodor. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to, we can't get into it. The side, the sidetrack, we can't get into it because we'll be cannibalizing, uh, the, uh, uh, Game of Thrones audience by, you know, uh, talking about these well, things. Well, we're counter-programming with my refusal to watch Game of Thrones because of a stubborn insistence that I hate all medieval things, which um, has been pointed out to me by other people is not even true because <laughs> uh, there are some medieval things I like. Right. What are your exceptions? My exceptions are The Legend of Zelda, okay, which covers all the bases of your, your knights and ladies and sprites and things. And 
something that made me question my commitment to hating medieval stuff was the Paul Verhoeven movie Flesh and Blood. I was about to, this is literally, I was going straight there. I was like, have you ever seen? Well, because that is that is the best. And it's the, I, I, I think that's a big Game of Thrones. Uh, that's a big basis. It's a, at least like a sort of the roots of Game of Thrones. If you've never seen this movie, everybody, it's. No, uh, I think Game of Thrones would be good if it were like Flesh and Blood, which is uh, about how miserable everything is in medieval times. It's just about like people just dying all the time. Everybody's getting raped constantly. Throwing plague dog meat in the yeah, well. Yeah, <laughs> it ends. Spoiler alert. Spoiler plague dog. Spoiler meat. alert. It ends with everybody dying from the plague. <laughs> all is, of the characters in the movie die from the plague. Even the ones who escape, you know, are about to die from the plague. Yeah. Um. It's dope. It's great. It's yeah. It's so like a good. '70s downer ending, but a medieval downer ending, which is. The worst. Seriously, it's like Tobe Hooper's Seventh Seal. Like, just you have to. If you have not, if any of this, if this sounds remotely good to you, like, do this now. I watched it because a friend of mine was like, "You have to see this scene where Susan Tyrell like eats a turkey leg, (laughs) 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 and she like bites into it and like says, you know, says something lusty, lusty, yeah." Uh, I think Rucker Hauer like uh, had sex with a sixteen-year-old in there. Oh yeah, like, it's just it's Jennifer really, Jason yeah. Lee. Oh yeah, she's exactly. only yes. in movies where yes. terrible things happen to her. That is her, her yeah, it's, niche. It's part of that box set of terrible things. So yeah, to young JJL. there are medieval things that I like, but you know, generally when I think about it, I think uh, knights and ladies and dragons. Just who cares? Who could possibly think that that was the best possible thing to do? And the answer is everybody who goes to the Renaissance Fair is so excited to wear so many clothes in the hot, hot sun. I mean, that was also I thought it was interesting. It started in Southern California because it is about wearing just like so many clothes. Layers. Yeah. And, and, and uh, wimples and snoods. And like I was sweating wearing regular clothes, so I could only imagine. But I think that's part of it. That's part of the authenticity is that you are very uncomfortable if you are being a historical reenactor. Yes. It's, you feel like you're dying of the plague <laughs> at, at age 35 and, and, and you're four and a half feet tall because that's how tall people die. <laughs> yeah. Everybody, everybody would be dead. By at least then, probably. Yeah, of old age, yeah. if not of plague. I feel like nobody really, you know, or, you know, some kind of, yeah, you've been uh, decapitated in a raid of some sort. Um, my main problem with medieval stuff, and this extends to kind of all high fantasy, um, is that I think it's very British colonialist, and that's what I don't like about it. It is always like the British people, the white British people are the the main heroes and then they go and they colonize all the other lands. They go to like the land that has a desert and then they go to like the cold place and the people are different from them and they kill them and marry one of them. You would love Game of Thrones. No, I would not. <laughs> you would not um, at all. This would, if these are your specific complaints, uh, and that is, I, not, not to say I wouldn't watch you watch Game of Thrones. No, I mean, I've watched it uh, several times because yeah. it's so popular and everybody, know. you yeah. know, and I, I love nothing more than to declare that I would like never do something and then immediately change my mind about it. I like to be hard and fast on my opinions, but... I've watched the season opener several times, and my problem with Game of Thrones is there is not enough sex and beheadings. Seriously. Like, everyone's like, oh, there's so much sex and there's so much violence, and then you watch it, and it's just people sitting around a conference room table being like, 
this person has to have this much land and this other person gave us some farthings and they can't go there. It's so boring and totally impossible to follow even if you watch the show. And the thing is, like, I know that I have that type of capability if I care about something because people would be like, what the hell happened on Mad Men? And I'd be like, what do you mean? They had this merger and then this person came from this. (laughs) Like, you know, I can follow details that don't matter in the real world if I care about something. But on Game of Thrones, I'm always just like, who cares? Who cares about any of these people except for Peter Dinklage and... It seems like even if you like a character, they just kill them off eventually. So you have to be a masochist to watch the show. Yeah. But it's also, it's not for me. I'm not the audience. It's the most popular show in the world that I don't care about at all. Yeah. I care enough to tell you these opinions and I cared enough to go to the Renaissance Fair. You were ready to give medieval culture another chance. Yeah, because I love crowds. I love immersion. <laughs> you love the sun. I love I love enthusiasm for anything. And I like nerds. So it seemed like something, you know, I wanted to give it a try. I will also say that even though I haven't been to a Renaissance fair as a child, I went to something called the Irish fair, which is exactly like a Renaissance fair, but Irish themed. Okay. And I think part of my uh, objection to Renaissance fairs is my Irish nationalism <laughs> makes me feel like... You know, I'm being mistreated at the Renaissance Fair by the British. Right, because it's crypto-English. It's not, you know, I mean, like Game of Thrones is a fake world, but it's yes. obviously... It's obviously English. Past. Yeah. And... A, the English accent is the default accent. Much That like the, drives yeah. me insane. Why is everybody British? It's a fantasy world. Why is everyone white and British? There's no reason they need to be. There are dragons. All the stuff about historical accuracy on those shows drives me insane because it's magic. I love it anytime. Actually, I really enjoy when people are like, well, that's the way it was, man. Yeah, that's it was well, like that's that what they time. always say when they're trying to justify why there's so much rape on those shows. And it's like, okay, cool. Why? Or like why all the black people are pirates. Yeah. It's like, that's the way it was, man. Look, I don't make the, I don't make, I don't write that's history, what I'm man. Saying. Again, and that's also why I have an issue with, with Star Wars and other space opera is because it's basically Game of Thrones in space. Yeah. It's the same thing. It's like British colonialism in space, which is like, well, why would we bring that to space? We already know that's the worst thing you can possibly do. Why are we going to take the brave new French? I mean, I'm sure that's probably what will happen because the world is horrible. But I would prefer if we're going to go into fantasy and any kind, you know, science fiction or science fantasy or high fantasy. Yeah. Why not make it something different and cooler than British colonialism? Which we can all agree sucks. Right. Let's imagine a scenario where we don't port all of our racism, where we don't have race in space. Yeah. Why would we have race in space? Well, there's like that Mr. Show sketch about racism in space where (laughs) David Cross is like, oh, I don't trust a man what's made of gas. (laughs) (laughs) Which Uh, is what would happen. Which is what would happen. Yeah, no, but for sure. But yeah, I mean, that's the thing. We can always, like, can we, since we have freedom to imagine these things, can we imagine these things? That's what I'm saying. All I care about is the Moss Eisley Cantina world where it's a port between the worlds and everybody coexists in a land of cutthroat whatever and jizz music. Yeah, it's true. Uh, ben Kenobi's very judgmental of it. He's like a wretched hive of scum and villainy. No, it's, it's like, like yeah, it's the, 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 the cool way. place <laughs> yeah. where people listen to music and hang out with people that aren't exactly like them. 
Yeah, I want a Star Wars uh, spinoff in the expanded Star Wars universe about people gentrifying most icily, oh. like hipsters coming in there and being like, the apartments are really cheap. You know, you get, your, <laughs> get your hand cut off sometimes. Anyway, look, we need to talk about my transition. I'll transition back to the Ren Faire, which is that I feel like the Ren Faire is kind of a most icily because it's the steampunks and the like actual medieval people and various other things. I guess there is, a, they've now, they've, they've cordoned off since the last time, I feel like there was a, the first time I went, there's a lot of steampunk going on. There was a lot of steampunk. It's a very loose interpretation of medieval. Yeah, it's which any is great. past. It might just be piratey. Well, you know? I found out, I guess, also it came out of this thing called the Society for Historical, Creative Historical Anachronism or something. Yeah, it's like Powell Anderson is a big yeah. thing in the world. Yeah, so the, it's always been sort of like this is a American fantasy about what British medieval times were like. It also just seems weird as Americans to be like, hey, you know what we really miss is this horrible, oppressive world that we came to America to theoretically escape from. Right. This is what we're going to do with our weekends. Yeah. Because I imagine that most people think that they would be in the upper classes and that's part of the fantasy. Is like, oh, you live in a castle and you eat goose meats all day. But... <laughs> You know, I'm just thinking, like, I'd be dead. In medieval times, I would be dead so fast. That's not that appealing. For Yeah, for any... It's the same way that nobody ever gets regressed to a past life and finds out that they were, like, a bug or a rabbit. You know, it's, it's always... They were always like, oh, I was Cleopatra. What do you know? Like, it's like, no, you were nothing. You were, well, you being know, a rat would yeah. be cool if you're the rat who spreads the plague. Then you're a historically important rat. <laughs> you were... Exactly. You were an awesome plague rat. So what did what did you think of the Ren Fair? I mean, look, I had never gone and I went, you know, I think the first time I went was like maybe two years ago. So I was like well over 35 and it was my first time, despite having been kind of a fantasy nerd as a kid, like, you know, as I was a nerd for all the things you could be a nerd for pretty much. And I think like sci-fi eventually won out for a lot of the reasons that you're that you're talking about. Because aliens are way cooler than dragons. Yeah. And it's just was there were many reasons, way, ways that it was more interesting and it didn't feel like regressive, you know, in the, in that way. And it did. But so I, it took me a really long time to go. Um, I went for the first time because uh, I have I had a friend who was like, no, it's the best thing. And like she goes every year. And so like we all went. I brought my wife, brought my kid. Uh, and we had a really good time just because it's fun to be out in a fair environment. And like I don't think my daughter even clued into the fact that it's supposed to be the renaissance, you know, the, the medieval times or whatever. She's like petting zoo. Awesome. That That's was... what we're doing. That was what sold me on the Renaissance Fair. There's a petting zoo, and they don't try to make it like the unicorn petting zoo. It's just a regular petting nope. zoo. Pet a goat, groom a goat, just yeah. do it. Like she, you know, she rode a horse and all that stuff. That's and, what you know. the kid I was with also wanted to do, was just groom the goat. It's the fun. If you're six, all you want to do is pet a goat. I uh, mean, apparently. I'm not six, and all I wanted to do, I was like, oh, we're let's just hang out here. Okay, we saw some stuff. Now we're just gonna hang out in this pen. Also, I think it's because. They just got rid of the petting zoo at Disneyland, mm -hmm. which was also always kind of a like hold holdover. I mean, it's so Disneylandy, is I think what made me be like, oh yeah, of course I like this. <laughs> it's a lot of people. Yeah, it has that feeling. Uh, like uh, uh, the feeling I have about it is that it, it, there's something even if you don't want to go there with in the way that the people there are going there. There's something about. And I have it at like Comic Con kind of events too, like you know, not the actual Comic Con, but like your you know your hotel ballroom comic convention yes. or whatever, where you really sort of feel like you are surrounded by people who are living for this moment. It's why I respect cosplayers, even though that's not my life in any way. 
Um, like it, you know that these are these people live for this weekend or this period that they can go to the Ren Fair and like they really work towards it. And it, it is something. It is a like a place where they can be free in a way that they are not free in their everyday life to be the thing that they want to be. And like they I can be free to be super restricted. <laughs> well, physically, yeah. I mean, physically... corset, to be corseted, but like there's something about like I don't know. Like that's no, that you're right. Somebody's idea of freedom. It's like you're feeling. I, I I respect it, and I feel like it is. I would argue that it is in some way truly American because you are able, you created this like weird alternate reality where at least you can step outside of the strictures of things because there's something about like, you know, it's, it doesn't feel there, there's a weird sort of overtone of sexiness to it, which is like uh, uncomfortable sometimes, you know, because you do, there's the adult zone. There's the fenced off for those of you who've never been to a Ren Fair, you've never been to this Ren Fair. Did you notice? That no, there, where was the adult zone? There was like there is like a sort of an adult grotto of some sort. Or no, like fenced I didn't off see that. Kind of adult area where I guess the shows are bodier, you know? Oh, I saw like a pirate zone and the pirates were singing the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers song in a pirate way. Oh, yeah. And then they sang some Dropkick Murphy songs, <laughs> which I sort of saw coming. Uh yeah, and I'm not. I'm not vouching for the Ren Fair as a place to go see bands. I'll just remember the, the one. My favorite thing that has ever happened to me at a Renaissance Fair was I, I was the first one I was at. I was walking around and talking to somebody about what we were looking at and all the things we were surrounded by, and uh, I used the term Rennie to describe. So I was like, you know, the Rennies, and then I was like, I realized I was like. I was like, wait a minute, is that like the N-word of the Renaissance Fair? And then a guy literally, like a jester, like bounded up to next to me and said, some say yes, Squire, but some say no, and then bounded <laughs> away. I was like, this is the greatest thing. I will come to this every year. <laughs> We're going to talk to Joe Dante in a second. Uh, one of our favorite directors of of the 80s of that of that uh, sort of that Spielberg Lucas kind of generation but I would argue like a way more interesting filmmaker in some ways than both especially in that early period uh director of Piranha and Hollywood Boulevard and The Howling what else Gremlins and more importantly Gremlins 2 anyway he's being honored uh, this week at the Mammoth Lakes Film Festival in Mono County, California, or perhaps Mono County, California. I don't know offhand. They're going to be showing Inner Space from 1987. And we got the chance to talk to him, so we took it. Uh, we're talking because you're being honored at the Mammoth Lakes Film Festival next week. Um, uh, yeah, which came as quite a surprise to me. I was going to ask, as you, you've, so you've worked your whole career in uh, all in the, the most uh, disreputable genres, you know, horror and science fiction and, uh, you know, satire. Is, is it strange to have become the kind of filmmaker who gets uh, retrospectives and tributes and things like this? Well, it's certainly not anything that you uh, were looking forward to while you're working. Um, I, I happen to be lucky enough to ride a wave of where, where my once uh, disreputable genre has now become uh, probably the most... Uh, box office laden um, genre there is it's uh, these pictures used to be relegated to the bottom of second second features and uh, now they're um, mainstream Hollywood movies with huge budgets and lots of special effects was there something was it was it more fun to make them when there was less 
pressure on them when it was when it was they were less likely when you knew that they were only going to play to a, a, a smaller audience theoretically. Well, I think I, I think what really happened is that uh, you know the less money was spent on the movie, uh, the less there was a feeling that it had to be a blockbuster. And now that uh, these pictures cost so much money, uh, there's a uh, tremendous amount of oversight uh, on the part of the, the studios and the producers to make sure that they have a picture that's going to justify the expense and uh, so as a result uh, there's quite a bit more um, looking over your shoulder and sort of interfering with the process um, it was a little easier when it didn't cost as much um, we're big fans of matinee over here uh, oh like... you're the one <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually saw they had uh, Runaway Daughters was on Netflix recently oh I should be getting a dollar ninety-eight from that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd never seen that before, and I totally loved it. And uh, sort of thought, you know, I, I sort of read stuff saying it was kind of a intended as a companion piece to matinee, almost. And well, that's my my fifties uh, my fifties trilogy. If I ever make another one, <laughs> <laughs> um, Runaway Daughters there. came about because there was a series of. Uh, films for Showtime that were being made by various directors uh, under the title. Originally Drive-In Classics, and then they ended up being aired as Rebel Highway, and they were remakes of old American International drive-in pictures from the 50s. Uh, with Basically, most of them just took the titles and, and sort of ran with it and did something different. Uh, mine is one of the few that's actually a remake of, a, of an actual film. Uh, but it's, um, it's, it's just very interesting to explore the, the, you know, the, the, the trends of the uh, the, the artifacts of, of that era and uh, particularly the attitude toward women. And, uh, it, it was really a, a great deal of fun to make. I mean, the, the gimmick was these pictures all had to be made in 10 days, like the originals. And um, it was it was a, a, a great deal of fun. And, and, you know, Julie Bowen and Paul Rudd went on to become quite successful. Yeah, they are terrific in it. And Paul Rudd especially is, is hilarious, I think. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's a great movie. I I was excited that it showed up online because you must have just things, you know, going back into rotation now because they become streaming. Well, you know, the thing is, there are so many movies out there that uh, it's almost hard to, unless somebody points you to something and says, you know, you should see this. They, they just, people don't know they exist. You know, particularly movies that play, you know, on Showtime for like, you know, three or four times, you know, in, in 1994 or whenever it was. Um, the, the, you, the, whole, the whole reason for my website, Trailers from Hell, which is, you know, filmmakers talking about the trailers for movies that, that they like, uh, is that um, it, it's, it's to curate the movies and to point people toward things that they might not know exist in this world where... There are so many channels and so many things to do. Uh, when I grew up, there were, you know, uh, in the New York City area, there were like nine channels, and that was it. And uh, if you didn't see a movie when it came on, uh, you'd have to wait maybe a year and a half before it to come back. Uh, and everything's different now. There's just so much stimuli and so many places to go to see movies that it really helps to have somebody to say, well, here's one you should, here's one you should see, here's one you might like. Is there anything uh, from your uh, filmography, stuff that's been rediscovered, 
you know, you've sort of you've, you've become this, uh, you know, a, a beloved director, as we've talked about over the over the years. Is there anything that people have rediscovered and sort of, uh, you know, reappraised of yours that that surprises you that someone's onto that, that someone has, you know, pulled that out? It all surprises me. <laughs> I mean, the fact that anybody's interested at all is, is amazing. But uh, I'm, I, like many people in my generation, um, uh, was a beneficiary of the home video revolution because a majority of uh, the movies that, that many of us made in the, in the 70s and 80s that weren't particularly successful commercially um, were rediscovered on home video. And it became cult movies. I mean, I made a picture called The Burbs with Tom Hanks that was roundly derided critically when it came out. <laughs> considered this is this such a crappy movie. Uh, but it's now got its own uh, its own fan base and uh, there's websites devoted to it and there are there there they have uh, screenings where people talk back to the screen and you know it's it's kind of it's got a rocky horror show kind of reputation now. Uh, but but when it was a movie it just came and went, you know, it was it it it, 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 it didn't make you know, it wasn't a bomb. I mean, it made money, but but it just was considered a, a crappy movie, and um, and now it has uh, it has this huge fan base. I, I would say, possibly bigger than Grumble. <laughs> Burbs heads are are out there. Yeah, you could not have told me they that are. that was an unsuccessful movie. Yeah. I was I was like twelve when that came out. The I, I, this, is, yeah, I love the Burbs. <laughs> I feel like that's also a movie that I have seen personally just a billion times on television, and that's definitely the way I discovered some movies was just that they would be running, uh, you know, censored and, and syndicated, but that was mm-hmm. how I... Commercials. <laughs> yeah, with commercials, but that's kind of the way you say, oh, I want to see this. I want to see what parts got cut out, and then you see see the real thing, and there were some movies from that period, a lot of 80s movies. That's how I saw them the first time. Um, yeah, and it also just used to be this thing of that you had to go to the cult video store to you know, go to the cult video store and, and find the guy who knows everything to tell you what to rent. Right. And now, and now the cult video store has turned into Netflix. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and the problem, the only problem with Netflix is that when you were in the store, they had boxes and you could look at the boxes and you could yes. read about the movie and you could see whether you wanted to see it or not. And But on, on Netflix, it's just a title. And nobody really knows unless you go do a lot of research, you know, what is it you're watching here? Uh, and um, you know the majority of movies now don't actually play in theaters. They 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 go directly to VOD. And um, uh, again, I think that's uh, kind of disappointing since we all make movies thinking of the big screen uh, and and the idea of you know overwhelming people with uh, with enveloping them in a huge uh, image that I've um, got you don't get at home unless you sit really close to your computer. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, the whole business has changed completely. I mean, it's not really a theatrically driven business except for hugely expensive movies. Um, and it becomes more and more difficult for independent movies to, act, to A, get seen, and B, make any money. Uh, so the act of mounting them and getting them made is, you know, much more complex than it used to be. I mean, is that why you've sort of gone in more of the direction of like you know making TV and stuff? Is that is, have you been sort of is, is that been out of out of necessity or? Well, one thing about TV is that you know it, it, you can count on it. I mean, it, it's it, you go, you do the job, they pay you. Um, <laughs> when you do an indie movie, uh, not only do they not pay you very much, but you actually have no guarantee that it's going to get distributed in theaters and that you're ever going to make any money. 
so as far as you know paying the bills and, and you know buying cat food and things that's, <laughs> the tv is much is much safer um and and now that they've come up with the, the whole miniseries model where you don't have to cram oliver twist into 90 minutes you can do it over a whole period of maybe 10 episodes uh you know, directors are finding it much more attractive uh because you can do the character nuances and and the beats that end up getting cut out of a theatrical film because they've got to be shorter. Um, so TV is, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it used to be something that directors kind of didn't, they looked down on, you know, it was kind of like, oh, he's doing television, oh, how sad. Uh, whereas, in fact, um, not only do more people see it, um, but there's a, uh, some of the quality of writing in television is actually quite superior to the majority of what you see in, in films today. You uh, directed some episodes of a show, and a kid's show that I loved, uh, Erie, Indiana, that, uh, you know, I didn't know they were Joe Dante productions at the time, but in retrospect, it's, it's so, so in your, in your milieu. Yeah, that was, a, that was a fun show to do. It was 1990, and um, the problem with the show was it was on opposite 60 Minutes, and um, <laughs> It didn't. Uh, it didn't get much, uh, much in the way of ratings, and it's only lasted like seventeen, eighteen episodes, it's but, got a which huge are available. On, they're the... on, well, they're on video now. There's a yeah. there's a video package where you can get them all. Um, but what was curious was that um, after the show went off, a couple of years later, uh, Fox ran it as a, a kid show in the morning, and kids found it, and it got to be very popular. And then they said, "Well, gee, we only got eighteen of these. What we should we should make we should make more." But they couldn't make more because the kids are too old now. <laughs> and, and, and so they said, why? They had this clever idea, they thought, of, of making more episodes by shooting it in Canada, building sets that look somewhat like the original sets, and having an episode where the kids from the original movie uh, go through some sort of a magical machine time warp and become other kids. <laughs> and so that they could continue the show with other kids playing those parts. And so they made a bunch more of them, but unfortunately they were really crappy, and, um, and so they, they, it didn't didn't work. But uh, I don't know what happened to those show, those episodes. They're not they're not available at all, uh, which is fine with me. But um, it was just so interesting that you know a, a show that that could have been very successful uh, had to wait for like four or five years to be discovered, and by the time it was discovered, it was too late to make any more of them. <laughs> I'm, I'm shocked that that concept didn't work out, that, 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 that <laughs> the ingenuity of that idea. It's just <laughs> it looked good on paper. <laughs> it kind of fits into the, the setup of the show almost so that you could do that, because it's such a... Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, I, we're, we're short on time, but I want to ask, like, what is the status right now of uh, Man with Kaleidoscope Eyes? Is there any, uh, has there been any movement on that, or is that is that going to happen? Like, that's a really fascinating idea for a movie, and I, I, you know, I was sort of explaining it to Molly the other day. Um, is that going anywhere? Is that do you have a? Uh, well, this is a movie about about Roger Corman uh, making the trip and all that that entailed with yeah. him taking LSD. <laughs> and um, it's funny. It's a funny script, and we came close to making it twice in the last maybe nine years, uh, and it almost happened, and then it didn't. Um, currently, we have a new version of the script that was just delivered actually a couple of days ago, and uh, we have a company that's interested, and we've sort of made some uh, adjustments based on what they thought they wanted out of the movie, and so we're going to send it over there and see what they think. So I, I, we, we never give up here. We, we, 
That's, <laughs> we, that's the most we important thing. We block these dead horses until, <laughs> until there's no life left. <laughs> just want to ask you a question just about gremlins before we go. Uh, there's a big gremlins mural in my neighborhood, actually. I see the gremlins every day and think of them fondly. And uh, Really? Yeah, it's great. It's in Highland Park on, on York. There's a, a just an auto shop mural that has has some gremlins eating popcorn. It's great. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was just wondering Wait, when... Wait, tell Warner Brothers. Come down. <laughs> yeah, when you were making Gremlins, did you did you think, like, this is going to be a Christmas classic? Were you Was that what you were... Absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely not. When we were making Gremlins, we were so desperate to be able to actually make the movie, which we, we were inventing the technology, and we had no idea whether it was going to work or not. We had no idea whether the audience was going to buy the setup, which is the rules, you know, that you don't get them wet, all that stuff. I mean, we, it just seems so arbitrary to us. Um, so, you know, we did the best we could, and then we were as amazed as anyone else when it just happened to be the right movie at the right time, and it was this astounding you know, success that really while we were making it, we were just hoping that, you know, it would be a modestly liked movie that, you know, that we liked it, so we didn't know if anybody else was going to like it. And uh, it, it, when it took off, it was, uh, there were mouths agape at the studio, believe me. <laughs> nobody, nobody expected the gremlins. No, no. It was, well, and there was no publicity. I mean, it was, it, it came from nowhere. I mean, it had no big stars and uh, it wasn't, you know, uh, nobody did stories about, oh, they're making this movie. It was just all of a sudden, there it was. It just came out of nowhere. And as I said, I, I think it was the right movie at the right time. I'm not sure a year earlier or later it would have been as popular. But um, it has been incredibly popular. I, I, last year I showed it to, in France, and uh, in, in, in dubbed in French to an <laughs> audience of like 2,000 school kids. Uh, and, uh, and they ate it up just like, you know, like it was a new movie. What's it called in France? It's always called Gremlins. Okay. They, they never change it. It's not like Les Gremlins? <laughs> no, it's not like Matinee, which which is called in France Panic on Florida Beach. Because <laughs> <laughs> oddly enough, there apparently is no word for Matinee in French. And I thought it was a French word. I totally thought it was a French word. <laughs> yeah, that's a... <laughs> it's Matin, right? <laughs> Yeah, that, right. It's yeah. based on a French word, but they don't. Yeah, that's. They're that's, like, no, no, you that, made that that's, up. That's fascinating. Uh, you also, of course, made Gremlins Two, which is one of the great punk rock movies of all time, um, and pretty much <laughs> just it seems like it's designed to sort of like make it impossible that they will ever make another Gremlins, and and yet that's also happening, right? That's in the that's in the works somewhere. Well, I don't know if it's happening. I it it, it may have done its job too well. <laughs> <laughs> They're always they're always announcing it, but then nothing ever happens. So you know that the jury is out on whether they'll. I mean, they'll have to do something with it because it's such a popular title. But they really can't. Really, they're scratching their heads trying to figure out what made the first two successful. So it's, they put them through <laughs> a time machine. They come out as different gremlins. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you so much for talking to us, Joe. This is. It's okay. My pleasure. I don't know why I just I say gallant I say goofus and gallant and I think it's is, is that entirely wrong is it like or is it like a Van Gogh that like you can I think it's like no one has ever said it out loud before no one ever no one talks about goofus and gallant I, it's I talk like about jiff it a lot. and gif I think it's like gallant gallant let's not go down that road we'll do this some let's other time let's not down that I could road, do a whole podcast prefer. about goofus and gallant because I 
have a lot of thoughts on them. Do you have any do you have feelings that like maybe Goofus might have some good ideas? Yeah, of and he's course. It's like actually, Gallant is a fucking ugh. yeah. No, that guy. He's just yeah. No, what is what's what's Gallant's life when he's not being when he's not on camera being Douche in a bag. comic strip yeah. just making Goofus look bad? And why has Goofus not murdered him? They'll yeah. be like, what a goof. <laughs> be like, he did it wrong. <laughs> North Mollywood was produced by Mukta Mohan and Michael Catano for the MTV Podcast Network. You can follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at MTV News and at MTV Podcasts. Subscribe to this and other MTV podcasts on iTunes.